Hello, Paul, and welcome to the Rare Birds podcast. Hello, Joanne. Great to be here. Yes, fantastic to have you on. So, Paul, let me introduce, I'll introduce you, Paul, and then you can introduce yourself. <laughs> so, Paul and I are colleagues, right? Paul and I work at the same secondary school academy, whatever you want to call it, here in China. And... Um, we have a lot of interesting conversations around academics and academia and feminism and entrepreneurship. And Paul is actually a Shakespearean academic. So, and I didn't know that Shakespeare was an entrepreneur. So there you go. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's great being here. Um, so I'm teaching twelfth uh, grade English uh, right now, and I have in in China with you at an international school there. I have a PhD in Shakespeare studies from the University of Birmingham in the UK. I also have a master's degree in teaching and I did a uh, number of years of high school teaching before I started at, uh, at the school that we, we both work at. So on this particular topic, I'm thinking about it in, in the context of my own students and also somewhat in the context of academia. Yeah, okay, good. So both of us work in this school in China with, you know, boys and girls, right? I teach entrepreneurship, um, intro to business, and you, you're teaching them. I know you do some Shakespearean studies and you also do English. So I was hoping, and based on your experience, because you are a uh, you're an academic and a teacher by career, whereas I am not, right? Um, yes, that's so, right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so I thought it would be interesting to hear um, your perspective on gender in the classroom and in education. I mean, I have, I have a bachelor's, I have two masters. I did at once toy with the idea of doing a PhD, but mm -hmm. uh, we won't get into that. <laughs> but I am not... I'm not an academic by any stretch of the imagination, and I, I don't even consider myself a teacher. I like facilitating, I like motivating and instructing, and I like the topic that I teach, which is entrepreneurship, and I like doing the workshops, but I'm not a teacher, like how I see you as a teacher. But I have been a student <laughs> for many years, mm -hmm. and I also work with a lot of young people and professionals as well. So I mm -hmm. have a view of, of the connection between academics and gender and I guess feminism and I wanted you to share your view more so because you are coming from that very sort of academic professional teaching career background which is what I don't have and I thought we could share perspectives on that um, with the audience so maybe you can begin based on your experiences yeah I mean well I mean I think that what I have I think that it's important to define, if you want to talk about women's empowerment, it's important to define the struggle clearly. I certainly think that it, in my experience, and I, I had a kind of a strange experience <laughs> teaching, I've taught in suburban high schools, I taught in a, a village way out in the middle of nowhere in Alaska with kids that were in Nupiat Eskimo and I have taught in China. I've also taught at the University of Birmingham and uh, a little bit at Kingston University. Uh, 
actually we just did conferences there and so I have quite a swath of, ex of different experiences. And I, I, I think that, that the, the, the challenges can be o overwhelming. And I think that it is, it is very, it is very difficult. The, I, I was thinking about two of my students that I worked with in this village in Alaska and one of them was a, a girl who really had a sense of purpose. She really, it was so obvious that she was going someplace. She, and I don't, I don't know where this came from, really. I don't know where her sense of purpose and her inner strength came from, but she was so driven and she would inspire other students. Every time she opened her mouth, she would inspire other students and they would, they would go, yeah. And then the other students would just revert back to their default position. And it, it was, it was really, it was really strange. It was almost like being in a room full of zombies and one person is awake and you don't know how to wake up the rest. And it was the, the experience in the village, a village, when I, when I say village, I mean, it was a, a little town that was really way out in the middle of, of, of nowhere on land owned by Native Americans, um, Inupiat Eskimo. And so there were few, there were few job opportunities out there, but the, the kids could move and get a, a, a very good job. They had a lot of advantages that other people wouldn't have, but they had this, this barrier, which was that they had difficulty imagining a, a, a future. And, and the women, uh, especially, it was especially difficult. Although some of them, again, were the, that were quite focused and driven, were able to take advantage of, well, there was this division. There were some women that were focused and driven. They were able to take advantage of all the opportunities. And then, then there were others that just didn't. And they just, they, they just had kids and they, they ended up stuck in the village. And there was, there was this uh, girl that I mentored that I invested a lot of time and energy in. And she, you know, she was a very talented artist and writer and she could have, done anything really uh with her life she's highly intelligent good critical thinker highly creative and she just decided to marry some jerk and <laughs> get That's stuck common. and she ended up having a child with disability very serious disability and oh. now her life is is pretty much over whereas frida her friend who had that sense of purpose and focus, she got out of the village, she got into Anchorage and got a, got a college degree, good job. And she had kids too. She had, she mm -hmm. sort of had it all. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't understand, you know, what, what, it, what the secret sauce is in, 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 and I think that you just have to, you try your best and you, you, you hope that you're not a negative influence. Um, mm -hmm. You try your best, you know, to, to make those possibilities uh, clear to, uh, to 
kids and especially girls when they they have so many different obstacles even more obstacles than the boys and it's 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 a super rewarding when they are able to be successful and it's very depressing when they're not mm. so based on the two stories that you that you mentioned what do you what do you think makes that difference? Is it just poor choices? Is it just because you can find someone who is extremely driven and talented and they make a poor choice to maybe not take a risk to, to I don't know, take on some job because they have, I don't know, low self-esteem and they think they can't do it or they marry the wrong person or they, you know, just a series of, of poor choices. Um, but at the same time, you can have someone who is not, particularly naturally talented, but they're driven, maybe they have the right mindset, maybe they're confident and they go after things and they become successful. Yes. Yeah. My mother was like that. She mm. was driven and um, yeah. she became a you know first grade teacher in her neighborhood growing up. That was a, a huge thing. Yeah. She was extremely successful given the neighborhood, the context she grew up in, which was in East Sacramento, a very difficult neighborhood to grow up in. I think she was probably the only, you know, she and her friend, her best friend, of course, she associated with, you know, the winners. She and her best friend were the only two that went to college mm. out of her high school. Do you, do you? notice that because we're talking about gender specifically do you notice something um different about your female students um when it comes to learning or in the classroom versus the boys well i am really lucky because i have some powerhouse uh female students who really are the top in terms of their intellect and their they're just their sheer ability to organize themselves to express themselves in english and to plan out uh you know assignments essays um any in-class assignment um to make insightful uh remarks to probe uh their uh when when something piques their curiosity i will make a suggestion and uh, about something so you know um one of my students was was writing about uh something related to the 19th century and i said well why don't you read ralph waldo emerson and she went and read and, and it's, it's a very difficult text um and she um in, included a whole section you know so so she was just highly suggestible in a positive way in an academic sense able to follow leads and investigate them with a kind of rigor and curiosity mm -hmm. intellectual curiosity um i will say that the the girls tend to be tend to be more shy um mm -hmm. it took me longer to to notice them and mm -hmm. by that i mean just to notice their, them as minds because they were shy and afraid to share in class. Mm -hmm. Once I realized 
what was going on in those brains, <laughs> I was, you know, then I suddenly thought, okay, this now we're, you know, this is, this is somebody who is, has got it together and is going places. Now I worry of course about, <laughs> about them because, um, I, I, I just, I, I know that, you know, for many there, there will be a, artificially imposed ceiling on what what they can do or not one what they can do but on what they're allowed to do um or at least what their their family you know expects them to do and i mm -hmm. i just they just hope that they will be aggressive enough and assertive enough to be able to overcome that i think many will but mm -hmm. the, the the pressure is i'm sure overwhelming Mm. I think for me, um, I've only lived my life as a female, so I can't speak about, can't speak to any other experience, right? I think mm. being, being a female, right? And being in, because I have, I have been educated, right? And I have some experience with education, even though it's very limited as a teacher, like just being in education generally, mm. I think something that I've noticed that is problematic and that I've I've discussed with other people before is uh, this idea, this propensity to just tell the girls, you know, like study hard, work hard, get good grades. This is very problematic. Um, and I say that because life is not about studying hard, working hard and getting good grades. So much of your sex is, success is not going to be based on your ability to get good grades. Um, and I feel like what happens, like what I've noticed with a lot of girls and young women is, so you, you're a good student in school, right? And you, you, you get really high marks. And at some point, somebody recognizes that in you and they start pushing you into the more challenging subjects, you know, um, whatever that may be in whatever part of the world you're in. If it's in the US, it might be AP. If it's in Britain, it's some special, other kind of special course, whatever, right? Every part of the world has these special courses, which are, tend to be inclined towards the math, the sciences, the technology, etc. But I feel like nobody actually, I mean, I, I know this is changing because you're seeing more programs now, but nobody actually explains to you why, why they're pushing you into the math and the sciences. They just say, oh, you're so bright. You've got to do something challenging in the math and the sciences. So you do that. And then you think you know what you're doing and then you get into university and you get in, you know, you and then you get into the world of work. And at some point you realize, well, you don't like this and mm. you don't like it for a variety of reasons. It could be because it's just not what you like. It could be because you weren't no one actually explained to you that going into these fields means that you're going to be one of maybe two or three in that field, because that's just the way it is in certain mm -hmm. fields with women and you have to deal with that in university you have to deal with that in the world of work and some people just don't want to deal with that um also they don't tell you that being into certain fields that are that these stem fields they they tend to be male dominated so when you get into the world of work there's a there's another barrier that you have to deal with right so i feel yes. like because yeah i feel like pushing pushing young girls into these fields it's I get it. And I think, I mean, I used to be a STEM ambassador when I lived in the UK. So I used to do this. So it's not like I'm not talking from experience, but there was always a part of me that felt like I was being hypocritical when I was doing that because 
you know, I was experiencing a lot of that stuff in the workplace. And then I would be going into these schools and telling girls, oh, yeah, you've got to study STEM. And it's like, mm, <laughs> do you really want to study STEM? I feel yeah. like you study STEM because you're interested in STEM. Like I was having this conversation recently, and I think that anybody who's interested in STEM, you should naturally be curious, right? You should like tinkering. You should like taking things apart and putting things together. Mm -hmm. You should be curious about how things work because that's the mind of a scientist and an engineer and systems and processes and researching, you know, and that's not glamorous. Mm -hmm. That's not glamorous. It's not fun. You know, it's not the kind of thing that gets you fame. So you do it because you, you are interested in it and because you like it and because irrespective of whether you're going to be the only woman doing it or whether you have to fight really hard to get noticed, it doesn't matter. You're doing it for the right reason. So you enjoy it as opposed to, oh, well, we need more women in STEM. So let's push all these girls into STEM. But how many of them actually stay in those fields? And then also the second point being, it doesn't make any sense to push all of these women into these fields if the environment is not con is not ready for them to be there. Mm, because the facts, the facts show that women always end up leaving these fields for whatever reasons. It could be because, you know, they just want to do something else. It could be because uh, they want to have kids and they realize, you know, I want to focus my children right now and not work. But ultimately, they always end up leaving. Now, mm. it doesn't make any sense to do that if the women are going to leave, just so you can say we've pushed women into STEM. I think that's very superficial. Yeah. And then, And then the other part of that is, if you want girls to get into STEM, then you have to raise girls to be interested in STEM. And that doesn't, mm -hmm. that's changing now, but for a long time, it wasn't like that. If you're just gonna tell the girls to focus on, play with Barbies and dolls and <laughs> focus on all of those things, which is absolutely fine. I love hair, makeup and all the fun stuff just as much as everybody else, mm -hmm. but that's not STEM, you know? And then you're gonna give the boys trucks and gadgets to take apart. And, and then people always say, oh, boys are much more hands-on. No, boys are hands-on because you make them hands-on. If you, if you gave girls the same types of toys, they would be hands-on too. So it's what you tell mm. girls and it's what yes. you tell boys. And that yeah. manifests itself in the classroom. If you're constantly told for the first 16 years of your life that you're not good because you're not hands-on, you're gonna buy into that idea. And if boys are constantly told, you're, you know, we're hands-on, we like doing things with our hands, that naturally means we're gonna be better at engineering and technology, well, that's what they're gonna believe. And I think that's the bigger problem as opposed to pushing people into certain fields because they're underrepresented. Well, that's a great point. And I mean, the, I think that, you know, one of the frustrating things about teaching English is that you you see students uh, girls girls who have aptitude in um, either in in English have an aptitude for writing for research in the humanities or have an aptitude for something that looks like uh, it seems like they, they really have a passion for they could do something like international relations or work at a very advanced level, uh, negotiating with people. Uh, they have those relational skills that are so difficult. And I don't know if that's, you know, nature or nurture, but I know that 
some of my students do. And I can, and I also know that their, their parents are driving them Mm. to, to get like a generic business degree or something in science. And their heart is obviously not in it. And I think that you obviously we're all, all, we're always going to have a conflict between our head and our heart. To some degree, you have to make a, make peace between those two. You have to be practical and at the same time, find something that captivates you but it's so mm-hmm. obvious that these these subjects that they're going into don't captivate them and and that they actually do have quite quite an aptitude uh in in subjects that i'm actually where, where i can actually measure their talent um mm-hmm. and and they just they're just not they they wouldn't even consider it and and, and you can just see the recipe for unhappiness and mm-hmm. and they're they're being driven to it and and they don't feel that they have a voice have they that they have a say and I, that's a big generalization some of them of course do but many don't mm. and i feel that that's kind of tragic that mm. and, and I, I had an administrator tell me you know why are you teaching these kids literature you should just teach them informational text because they're all going to go into math and science and mm. I, I said, you know, that's a huge assumption to make. Wow. Mm. You know, you've just mm. decided their future for them. The whole point of high school is that you get a chance to try things out. You know, uh, they don't need some uh, somebody coming in and saying, oh, well, we've already decided for you. You know, that is really patronizing. And mm. maybe it's realistic because of the cultural expectations. But forget it. I, I, I don't I don't accept that. I think that you, if you don't find a field that you can fall in love with in some way, then you've got you're, you're creating a prison for yourself. You know, there there was somebody who said we spend the first half of our lives making a bed of nails and the second half of our lives lying on it. <laughs> I, I, I think that what they're doing, you can watch them making that bed of nails for themselves. Mm. So if you, let's say you had a magic wand and you could redesign education so that it would be completely gender neutral, how would you teach boys and girls in the classroom? Well, I'm sorry, when you say gender neutral, I'm, I, uh, you mean? Meaning you wouldn't, it wouldn't be so much about you're a girl, you need to be pushed into STEM, or you're a boy, you're hands-on, like gender neutral. Gender wouldn't even be a part of the equation. How would you design the classroom? Like, for example, with me, like I teach I teach my students entrepreneurship, and there's no difference between what the girls do and what the boys do. I mean, they take the class because they're driven, and, you know, the class is very, like, yeah. techy mm-hmm. and very futuristic, and... Yeah. They take it because they've already taken intro to business and they've gotten a taste of it and they're creative and they like ideas and they're, they're, they've got the mind for it, you know? So they mm-hmm. like the challenge and girls and boys do very well in the class. There is no, I see no difference. The girls are just as talkative and just as boisterous and outgoing as the boys and they have fun and they compete and it's it's not an issue, you know? Um, mm-hmm. The only thing The only thing is obviously like with certain, sometimes when with certain teams, obviously, if they've come into the class as friends already, they want to work together. And sometimes that will be, you know, boys with boys or girls with girls. But generally, 
we don't have these issues. And I wonder if that's because the way the class is set up. So it's, mm. or if it's something else, I don't know. So if you had to design a classroom whereby girls and boys could just flourish and it was, it wasn't uh, based on gender, because I hear a lot of, I hear a lot about gender now that I've been teaching for the past, like almost three years in a secondary school. And it, it's, it's not something that I used to think about a lot until recently. And I wonder if that's because the teachers themselves come into the classroom with their own, with their own biases. And maybe sure. they create, they create an environment that almost continues to feed that narrative of, okay, you're a girl, you should do this and you're a boy you know, you should be like that. So I'm just curious as to how, how would you design, okay, maybe I'm not asking the right question. How would you design a classroom that, yeah, that, that didn't hmm. tie, that wasn't, fa didn't factor in gender, that was gender yes. neutral. Is that it's even possible? I, th I think it's challenging because um, English is, is, it's just different. Um, and it's different because yeah. it has two sort of tracks. One is the language part. And of course, if you're teaching Chinese kids, they all need to learn the language better. And mm -hmm. so that's just a skill building. Even though some have perfected it even better than in native English speakers though. <laughs> right, there you go, have yeah, that. exactly. We have that too. Oh, sure, 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 yeah. Some, some, some uh, you know, are uh, really excel, you know, and some can write essays better than I could when I was in high school. So, yeah. uh, you know, in English, <laughs> so that's, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, brilliant. I, I, but the other is that you're teaching literature and some students will have an affinity and aptitude for literature and others won't. Mm. I think that the, 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 the literature part is the part where I want to throw the gates open and say, you can do this as a career. You can be a teacher or you can be you know, do something in, in connected to this, or you can use this as a, you know, use your aptitude for English literature as a, a secondary skill to feed something else that you're, mm -hmm. you're really passionate about. And mm -hmm. I feel that that sense of this as a future career or as being a part of a future career is future career is just shut down really for all my students before we even start. And so that's depressing. But mm. um, I don't, I think that with the girls, it's less what they do in the classroom because they dominate in the classroom. And, and some mm -hmm. of them dominate in different ways. I mean, there are certainly some who are willing to be very assertive and answer questions mm -hmm. and are highly articulate. And others are incredibly quiet and shy, but just sit there and write brilliant essays, you know. Mm -hmm. And are you know a little nuclear furnace going on and and they but they they you know there are some it's not that they completely um overwhelm the guys but they dominate and and yet i think that um i think that they Yeah, I, I think that it's about how they envision their future that seems to be the, the shadow that's cast on the whole thing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. In my in my intro to business class, we do a whole I do a whole section on career development, professional development. And it's really interesting because you only have maybe a handful of them that know what they want to do um, mm. in university. And I'm, I just tell them, you know, that's OK. But we have a lot of conversations about like, you know, your interests, your what you're passionate about and then your skills, because mm. I always say to them, these are, you know, what are you naturally good at and then what are the skills and then what do you have to learn and how can you improve and i didn't have that when i was their age so i think they're very fortunate um but also just having these conversations around the possibilities i think it's important because if they don't know what's out there then they can't possibly start to to develop a plan because i've met That's when it. i used to i used to do a lot of guest, guest lectures at universities before I, I started doing this secondary school thing. And I met students, even seniors in university that had no clue about why they were doing what they were doing, why they were studying what they were studying. They were just there because they told they, they were told they needed a degree. Some of them just got masters because they didn't know what else to do. So <laughs> it's um there's a lot of confusion. I mean, we're at the secondary school level, so I think it's good to to get them here and 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 teach them but i'm i mean in even in university there are a lot of students just studying university degrees because they just don't know what else they should be doing or they have no they have no direction and maybe that's yeah, the fault that's of true. the educational system because it's not actually developing young people it's just you know there's this whole conversation around exams and standardized tests which is important Absolutely. but but there's no point if they have no idea how they're going to contribute to society, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. One of my students uh, wrote about standardized tests and she said that um, she said that the there was a standardized there, that, that there was a school where they're issuing standardized tests and they needed um, to they they needed to clean up the vomit off of the tests because some of these students got sick on them. <laughs> and I thought that was mm. one of the most powerful uh, quotes that I had heard. Yeah. So shifting to um, women's economic empowerment, right? Because that's mm. what this platform is all about. Do you what do you think is the connection between schooling, acad academia, education, whatever we want to call it, and women's economic empowerment? Well, I think that here. So one thing, and this is what I was saying, is that or what I was trying to say is that mm. I find that a lot of my female students are lateral thinkers. They mm. they they think out of the box uh, to mm. use the cliche. <laughs> they yeah. they are excellent writers they are highly imaginative and i mm -hmm. feel that those qualities that that can flourish in a certain context in say a literature class when you're mm -hmm. reading a poem or when you're doing a creative project mm -hmm. writing writing creatively suddenly are, get suppressed that they're not acknowledged and I think that those it, 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 I, I don't know whether it's nature or nurture but I think that those talents tend to be disproportionately uh, um, allocated to the the female students in my class and I feel like they're not validated that that they they don't 
seem to they they don't seem to 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 see how those qualities can be cultivated into a career path and maybe it's just like you were saying maybe it's just that they're early maybe they're in high school and they have they don't have a clear idea of of where where they want to go but i i i also feel that there is this expectation that they go into these stem subjects mm. and you know i i have to sort of stand up for for english as a subject and and mm-hmm. and say you know they they there are a lot of things about a humanities education that can be very helpful in a business context and oh absolutely yes for sure so i don't think i don't feel like they're getting encouragement in that in that direction i feel like they're getting encouragement to kind of smother those that that aspect of themselves mm. and i think it's called steam now science technology engineering art and um, math yeah yeah Mm. no but absolutely because and that's the point i I was saying about it's not just about getting good grades because your success in the world is not about getting good grades it's more than that it's your mindset it's your attitude it's your ability to make connections to connect with people it's a lot of different things it's all the quote-unquote what people like to call soft skills that um that get you where you want to be in life and Edu- you know, schooling, I don't want to say education because there's different types of education, but schooling is only one part of that. Grades are only one part of that. Um, so that's why we meet so many people who are fulfilled and who are successful based on their own terms and will tell you that they didn't go to university or maybe they went to university and they dropped out or whatever the case may be because um, the world is a different place now. That said, what... D- Considering that the world is constantly changing, you know, I always, we all, well, I think we all do this. We all say to our students, you know, um, we're preparing you for a future that is so unpredictable. We don't know what jobs are going to be around five, 10 years from now, what jobs won't exist. So we're not really focusing on um, the traditional skills, but we're also focusing on the other, the alternative skills, like the collaboration and the critical thinking and communication and all of that stuff. Mm. So Considering that the world is going in into a, a different direction, do you think that um, education, women in education, do you think all of that needs to radically change as well to keep up? Well, I mean, like I said, I think that the the standardized tests should alter dramatically, and I'm I'm not sure that I'm the one who can say how to do that, but. Mm-hmm. I certainly see the adverse effects on my students. And I think that what students should be doing is they should be finding their, you know, the, whatever it is that gives them an intrinsic curiosity, an intrinsic uh, fascination with what, uh, with, with problem solving, with, uh, being creative and with collaborating with other people, you know, when I was in college and I think this is the same thing with you, um, tell me if I'm wrong, the, Mm -hmm. the learning that I did, the, the most quality learning was in intense conversations up late with other students. 
of you know, course. over you know coffee or whatever you know talking into the night and really just chewing over whatever it is that we had been learning and and so it was sort of the seminar outside of the seminar where mm-hmm. we would have we'd have our own extended seminar where we go way in depth into mm-hmm. into concepts that we were covering in class but mm-hmm. out of a love for discussing those topics yeah. and you just can't manufacture that because when you have the drive and 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 you enjoy this is what you enjoy doing you're mm-hmm. you're you're going to you're going to be moving so much farther and this is what i i mean it's like when i when i tell my students and they never believe me because they've been socialized into believing that that uh toefl courses and that sat prep <laughs> classes are are going to increase their scores on these standardized tests even mm-hmm. with the standardized tests the, the the test prep all of the research says that the test prep classes don't really help what helps at least for for, so for reading comprehension part of these tests is reading and reading for pleasure reading through your own interest being driven by your own interest and there's this like night and day situation so the the students that 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 love to read and that read weird books that only they love Mm-hmm. do super well and the ones that are beating beaten over the head with these classes and are just utter in utter misery going on saturdays or you know to these classes where they have to do this these test prep classes and are just grind through problem after problem they never improve they just keep getting the same crappy scores again and again and again mm-hmm yep and a lot of the times they're just not interested. It's being forced on them. So that's true. That's true. But like, you know, the thing is that you're all everybody's interested in something. And so they, they can read something that they're interested in, but they never get a chance to develop their interests. They never, never get a chance to even ask, what is it that I'm interested in? Mm hmm. Yep. Yep. So, and I, yeah. So I would see education being transformed by um by reaching out you'd have to begin and i i think that there's a lot of educational theory that supports this you have to begin by finding out what your students interests are what they are they're interested in and being Mm -hmm. patient enough to allow those interests to develop and to give them space to develop and also to give them space to mess around because uh, the the idea that you have to control students every minute that they're in the classroom is also ridiculous because oh, yeah. it's a part of learning and yeah. and and when I was writing my PhD dissertation I was bored a lot of the time you know and 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 you say well you know you go between you have to be disciplined but you go between being bored and then the boredom allows you to hear the nascent, emergent, undeveloped impulses that mm. when you're driven by the bell and all of these different things that that are from the 19th century in the school, uh, just get drowned out. Yeah. I mean, I fear yeah. that our students graduate from high school. They don't know who they are for the most of part. And, and sometimes in our classes, certainly in your class, 
maybe the very first time they've asked themselves what they're interested in. Yeah, my my classes are their escape, you know, because it's entrepreneurship. It's like, oh, that's it's not math. It's not science. <laughs> it's not it's not a required class. I teach electives. So it's an escape because mm, yeah, yeah. they come to my class and I'm I'm talking to them about crazy stuff, flying cars and you know, bird of prey airline. I mean, we we are out there in my class. Like this mm-hmm. week, we're doing digital. We're doing some digital transformation stuff. We're talking about Taobao villages. I tell them to design things that are out of this world. So they like it. It's fun. They choose to be there, and yeah. in some in some sense, they get to apply things that they've learned in their in their other classes. Mm-hmm. But there, no one's forcing them to be there. They enjoy it. You know, I'm not. A traditional teacher in any sense so i give them freedom to do as they wish and and that's it so it works but yeah it's just um i think again because i don't come from that teaching background for me i i don't i don't instruct them the way i was raised like i was brought up in a very traditional teaching teacher student mm-hmm. environment yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which yeah. we've talked about a lot so um mm. yes but i don't i don't my classroom isn't like that. My, my, my students are just like my younger friends. <laughs> I mean, obviously mm-hmm. there's respect and they know that there's boundaries, obviously, but there's there, I'm just there to facilitate their learning and that's it. So whatever mm-hmm. I can do to, to, to facilitate that is, um, and to foster and to foster those relationships that they need to have with each other in the classroom to get the, the projects and the work done. That's fine. Yeah. But I, like for example, now that we're doing online learning, I absolutely love it because mm. they get to, they have agency now, so they're in charge over their own learning. Um, you see you know, how, how they respond to things. They can message you privately instead of having the fear of raising their hand in class and thinking they're Good. going to ask a dumb question. Yeah. And they're so keen and they wanna know more and they're curious because they're getting to watch videos now and, you know, read articles and podcasts and things that are real as opposed to in the classroom where you kind of have to structure everything around like this very basic lesson plan of, you know, from a textbook. So I think it's, which I try not to do anyway, I think it's just more relevant and interesting to them. You know, like I had one student say to me, the book is just so boring. I said, I know, isn't it boring? I have always thought this book was boring. <laughs> and, you know, he he's like, okay, I'm going to find something else. And he finds something else and he learns it. Great. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as he's learning it, who cares whether it's from the book or from YouTube? And I really think that's that's the role of the teacher now. It's less about trying to teach and more about discernment, because nowadays you can learn anything online and a lot of the times it's free. So it's just being able to to make sure they understand the difference between what is accurate and what isn't that be having that critical mind. Because they don't have to come to me to teach to teach them anything. They can go online. They can take online courses. They can go to a MOOC. I mean, everything is is online now. We don't necessarily mm. have to go into a classroom to learn. So I don't think my job is to stand there talking at them or lecturing them on anything. It's just to mm. make sure that they know how to to think about things and how to apply and how to process and how to use their head in in the right way. So I think that's the future of I think that's the future of uh, of learning. I think that's the futuristic classroom. But yeah, we'll, well, I mean, and I think that you're you're creating it. And I, I think I also feel I, I agree with you. I think in, in writing, it's it's different 
but I feel it's equally liberating for me because the constraints of the classroom make it very difficult to give a long writing assignment every week. And yet yeah, yeah. I out online and students don't seem to be burning out on it. If I give them yeah. interesting topics to write about. And I think that their, their, our ability to focus in on the writing is, is so much, it's so much, it's a different space working on, in an online format. It's a completely different space space and it has advantages and disadvantages you don't get the same feeling of you know live uh collaboration you know like when you're in a class and you've got everybody in the class together there's a certain energy that can mm -hmm. be very positive of course it can be very negative but i think generally can be very positive mm -hmm. and that can be really fun but i feel that that often suppresses Mm. And it'd be oppressive for the kids that are introverts who yep. really like to just sit down and develop an idea and yep. quiet. Smaller classes, and, smaller classes. Yeah. With, with small, with more interaction, because sometimes these big groups, you know, they don't always work for everybody. They tend to suppress what I call, you know, the, the the still silent voice that is often the wellspring or the seed of creativity. They mm. suppress it because you have to be kind of physical and have them moving around a lot because if you don't, the class can can, can spin spin out of control, which mm -hmm. doesn't mean that like, you know, even in that kind of class that you're, you know, you're always it's just difficult. The physical space is difficult. The, the chairs are comfortable, uncomfortable to sit in. The desks are mm. uncomfortable, comfortable to sit in. You have to have them moving around and doing different things or else it is just going to be a misery for them. But if they're at their, in their home and they're at a comfortable desk, you know, where they have space and they have quiet and they can sit down and, and do a very nice, I've gotten some great essays uh, mm. in the last few weeks. And I, I've really been blown away at how much some of my students have improved. And I think that, you know, we're talking about empowerment. I think in a certain sense, that's empowering. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah. Especially for the girls. I think that maybe online learning can have a role to play in the gender disparity because... Absolutely. Yeah, and research does show that when... When you have all girls learning on their own, for example, they tend mm. to excel. And then when really? you bring boys yeah. in the mix, it changes for whatever reason. <laughs> it does. Well, the, I mean, the girls get... dominate the online realm as well. I they mm. they they're more or they're better organized. They're playing fewer video games <laughs> and getting distracted less. One thing I can say for the girls: the girls are organized. I mean, to a point of wow really <laughs> you know, yeah. like, they're so yeah. organized that's one thing mm -hmm. if this if you know the stereotypes stem from some truth the female students <laughs> are wow they take organization to the next level i mean folders I binders clips color yeah. coordinated pens for each I tell class. You, you learn to appreciate that stuff wow you and you, you see their lockers this is where i put this books for this subject and that subject and it's just oh it's just truly remarkable 
it's truly remarkable. The boys, not so much. I have one or two boys that are organized, but not, I would say, just based on my observations, the girls are always a little bit more organized. Most of the boys, the, if their head wasn't attached to their body, they'd lose it. <laughs> no, the boys are more like, yeah, Miss Hamilton, I turned that in. You didn't see it? No. When did you turn it in? Oh, I turned it in in the wrong place. I mean, it's good work, but they just, those little things don't matter to them, like the little details. But with the yeah. girls, oh, yeah. yeah. I submitted it at 10.30, and you said you wanted it at 10, you know, 50. <laughs> they they will do everything just, it's that, that perfection, I guess. And I think that's something that um, when you get into an older age as a woman, you, you kind of have to let go, perfectionism. But I mean, it it's also, I think that the, the on online, it also, it levels things because when they ask questions, it's not really a matter of being assertive. You just, you know, have to message your teacher, right? So everybody's yeah, in the yeah. field. It, it's just, do you have a question? There's no, I mean, I, I guess there are some people who would still be afraid of doing that, but it really does uh, level things off. But I, certainly in the online realm, the, the girls, the, because they're more, uh, they're more self-directed, self-focused, mm -hmm. uh, organized they manage the online instruction much better than the boys do yeah yeah because and they're I able had... to manage their own lives better and and the boys are so easily distracted they get off in other other realms you know usually i <laughs> i assume video games of course yeah know. yeah <laughs> how could i they're on their alien laptops stuff? playing video games <laughs> but you know funny enough i did have one girl message me the other day we were doing basic, some stuff on economics. And I said, oh, wow, you're asking so many questions. Do you like it? She said, no, it's not a matter of liking it, but I know I have to know it because it's base. It's the basics and I need to know how the world works. I was like, okay, then. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, but okay. that's what I said, because that's what I told them in the lecture. I said, you don't have to love this, but if you, because I think she said to me, she wanted to be an artist. I said, well, if you know economics, you will never be a poor artist. And she just started laughing and I said, "You, as you get older, you will understand what I mean by a poor artist. So she just started messaging me and she's like, okay, fine, let's just do this. But I don't think if we were in the classroom, she'd be like that. Right, right. So there's this whole other opportunity for her to flourish. Yeah, yeah. I get a lot of private messages. Um, well, not private, but you know, like DMs, like on our sure. platforms and whatnot from from students. Um, a lot of boys, but mostly mostly girls, which I think is an interesting observation. Yeah, me too. Me too, definitely. Um, and so I think that if we were talking about education and girls flourishing, I do think that online education is, is a realm that still needs to be explored. And, and Absolutely. I think work needs to be done to find out how girls' strengths come out in that online realm, because they certainly do. Yes, yes, yes. And when you look in the world of business, um, technology, e-commerce businesses, online businesses have made a lot of women successful, very successful. I mean, in terms of popularity and just the bottom line, wealthy. So just the, the, the entire digital space has done a lot for women. And I don't see why that wouldn't trickle down to education as well. So like there was a girl in my Shakespeare class mm. um, 
and um she um it was very interesting it wasn't online but it was uh with her group she was in a group with a couple guys and it just happened this one week that these guys were absent mm-hmm. and I couldn't believe how she flourished when they were not. She was so quiet. It was impossible to get her to say anything. Once they were gone, she did all. She was fine. It was like she was under a a rock or something or a shadow. I'm not surprised. That happens in the real world, too. You know, they talk about it. Women and you see it. Women at work, women in boardrooms. When there's women, you know, our, our voices are only heard when there's like two or three of us. If it's just one of us, women shut down. So these are all, I feel like the classroom is only a microcosm of the bigger picture. And that's why it was so important for me to have this conversation, particularly in this month as a part of this series, because what happens in the classroom is then taken out into the real world. And everything that we see is, is, it's, 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 it's the truth 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now. Yeah. And I have to say that, I mean, I think that that's a moment for teacher intervention and I mean, mm-hmm. where it can, can make a difference. I mean, mm-hmm. of course it's not any one intervention that's going to make, that's going to matter. But if you do take, you know, you, you do, uh, ask, ask like, so, I mean, I, 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 I asked her, I said, after class, I said, you know, did, did you notice what was going mm-hmm. on here? Mm-hmm. You know, that, mm-hmm. that you're a different person without those mm-hmm. two guys around. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, you're a completely different person. You can read these lines, your your voice, you know, you can project your voice, you're, you're animated. And, um, and, and I said, just feel what it's like and try to remember yeah. what that feels like. Yeah. Interesting, right? Very interesting. Hmm. So, my dear colleague and friend, Mr. Paul <laughs> Hamilton. Yes, he's a Hamilton too. What? Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> yes, indeed. Mr. Hamilton. Um, we we got this joke where at one point people at school thought we were a couple, but yeah, right. we won't talk about that. Very funny stuff. But anyway, um, what parting words of advice would you like to share? With the female listeners, I have a lot of listeners who are young women in their 20s. Oh, my gosh. And, oh, oh yes. Maybe a lot, I have a lot of female listeners in university. Um, you know, and this is a time of huge, um, this is just a lot of confusion when you're like 18 to 28, you know. I mean, there's confusion all the time. But 18 to 28 is, this is a critical time. And I know a lot of them... Mm share with me that like they don't want to make they don't want to make mistakes they don't want to make the wrong choices they don't want to do the wrong thing because i always say to them your 20s whatever you do in your 20s is going to affect the rest of your life you should take all the risks now you should do everything now you should try everything you should you know just put yourself out there don't be afraid so what words of advice as a as a teacher as an academic as a man in this month of women would you like to share with these young women well, I, I, I have advice uh, when it comes to doing advanced uh, work, whether it's doing an MA or mm-hmm. uh, PhD, PhD studies. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yes, please share. I just hold on to your ideas 
believe in them, allow them to mature because mm-hmm. I've, I've worked with women, uh, uh, men and women through the process. And what you see is that everybody starts with ideas that are scattered and gradually those ideas become more and more refined. And mm-hmm. if people have patience with the process, they, uh, they become, they, they really find their, that they're able to realize their, 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 their potential, their intellectual yeah. potential. And there isn't just one way to do that. There are a lot of ways to do that. But I think that some people give up too early and mm. they, uh, they, they don't have, they become impatient with the, the, the process, but I, it's worth it to believe in yourself and to mm. allow your ideas to elaborate, to become elaborated, allow your, your individual potential to become realized, what, what, what however it is that you want to do that. Mm-hmm. It is, it takes time though. And, and, and there, there's just, there's no, question about it it takes time and you have to have patience and with the time that it takes to do that yeah what about those who are who are in undergrad who who are just just started their degree maybe they don't even know what they're doing or maybe they're studying something and they don't even know why i would also just say it takes time that yes. that you have patient to patient with yourself. yourself don't make a decision that precludes your realizing your potential too early that um you you have to believe in yourself and you have to realize that there will be many times when you will think oh i finally arrived and you won't have arrived yet you won't even be close mm-hmm. to having arrived nobody they ever arrives there's no such thing <laughs> So you think you graduate from high school and you think, oh, wow, I've done it. You know, all I have to do is just graduate from college. And then no, no, most people graduate from college and they still can't think. Most people, uh, you know, need more time. And uh, unfortunately, there's there's a there's a saying, the life so short, the art so long to learn that Mm. um but you have to, you, there's nothing else. You have to learn it. You have to take the time to learn it. Uh, the, these na- these processes, our minds, our emotions take a long time to mature. Yeah, yeah. And some, and emotions don't, what I'm learning too is that emotions don't, it's not like, okay, your emotion is here and you mature and that's it. Mm, it's, life point. is changing and as life yeah. changes you will change and you might think you have an opinion on something now which is firm but then mm. you have an experience or you go through experiences which change that belief and then another experience and another experience so you just have to be flexible it's like being on a roller coaster you got to hold on <laughs> yeah exactly but and one thing i always say tenacity is a is really you know a, a virtue it's true it's very true and one thing I always say to my students is that learning isn't just about being in a classroom. You're always learning. So, you know, when you're in a university environment or master's or PhD or whatever, or high school, you think that that's it. But that's just, that's that's teaching you, that's, schooling is very different to learning. 
and it's mm-hmm. it's about ongoing learning. And I know a lot of people who don't have degrees, but they're absolutely brilliant because yes, of course. they read yes. books and they travel and yeah. they're thinkers and they're writers and probably they're more mu- original. Yeah, and they're curious and they have original thoughts, which is which is um, an unorthodox thoughts as well. So just because you're in an academic environment doesn't necessarily mean that you have arrived. <laughs> So absolutely not. I mean, I, I think that you're, you know, you're absolutely right there. I mean, a lot of people use academics as a way to escape from life. Yes, the real world by staying in university. But you're going to have to get there and you're going to have to, I guess, you know, when I was in university, I used to hear people say, oh, it's not the real world. And I would get really defensive, like, yes, it is. It is the real world. It's just a different <laughs> kind of world. But then you start working and you get out there and you're like, oh, yeah, this is real. <laughs> that stuff was yeah. just play. Getting up at 11 every day and chilling out <laughs> and eating, eating disgusting food and being broke. That's not that's not it's it's definitely a reality, but it's not it's not um, the reality that everybody else is in. And you're going to have to get out of that. <laughs> <at some point. laughs> that's a great way to end, I think. <laughs> not the reality. It's a reality. It is it is a kind of reality. It's a it's a fake reality, though. And university does that to you. It creates this little bubble and you think the rest of the world lives like you. And it's just like, OK, at some point this is going to pop up. So get ready. Yeah. 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 Yes. It was so wonderful to have you on, Paul. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful. Yes. Education, academics, women. Very, very interesting stuff. So I hope you've enjoyed listening and until next time, bye for now. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye.